This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio, or should I say helicarrier radio. (laughs) I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And today's episode is entitled, I think you'll like this one, Salem's Lol. Ooh, yes, (laughs) like that one very much. Our podcast title is A Pod by Any Other Name. So amongst other things, we're going to be looking at uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Season 2 on Netflix, and also uh, a a film called All Is True about William Shakespeare, and a few other things as we roll along. And as you can tell, that opening title theme was actually the end title theme of Avengers Endgame by... Alan Silvestri. And it's very, we were just saying in, as it was playing, I feel like it's it's a very kind of 90s Spielberg in some way. Yeah. Uh, it's that very like fanfare, wrapping things up. And as you said, I hope you're feeling things right now, like yes. really pulling on the emotions. Yes, they're very much a, uh, a dramatic drum roll and then that bittersweet melody line and it's like you have just seen a momentous major motion picture exactly (laughs) and it's true and alan silvestri of all composers um still extant today is actually one who kind of created that that type of soundtrack yeah that kind of swelling strings vibe so i think he actually deserves to get away with that plus they used it um, throughout the film as well for other moments Mm. Uh, and the soundtrack is actually pretty damn good Uh, i've been listening to it a few times for and and a mixture of different things and lots of um near predator and uh back to the future riffs and all sorts of other movies that alan silvestri has worked on i like that it's like little um callbacks to yourself yeah some people call it self-plagiarism. <laughs> no, actually, that, that is a thing with composers. Who's that one that we always talk about that's really famous for doing that? Oh, James Horner. Yes, yeah, James Horner. That. Yeah. Doesn't mean that the, the scores were any more powerful. Or John Williams, um, you know, the tank theme in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade shows up in uh, some of the Star Wars movies where yeah. they have things yeah. like that. Anyway, uh, over to... Oh, yes, that. Avengers Endgame has snapped up around $2.2 billion US dollars mm-hmm. globally over the weekend box office and that's about uh, 3.1 Aussie kangaroo balls because they've got kangaroos on the back you know. quite a lot quite a lot and that, that plates is it you know a very good posse to approach avatar's record of 2.78 billion and i guess this is probably as close to sports as i get yeah <laughs> following <laughs> the numbers <laughs> comparing box office receipts in lieu of team stats so yeah, you know yeah. it's all a bit silly i reckon it's, it's not like i'm getting the money yeah. i think and I think there is something to be said for as people's viewing cultures change, mm. I would think getting people to the cinema now is more difficult than in Avatar's time. Mm. So I think there's a lot of factors that should be considered in these numbers. Well, it's funny you should say that. I've got a little bit about that in, oh. in a moment. Um, Disney owns one or more of the properties like Star Wars and Marvel. Yeah. They're just going to be laughing all the way to the money bin. Exactly. Yeah. Rolling down that pile of gold coins. So having steamed past Titanic at the yes. box office... There's another game in play, which is uh, biggest box office in inflation-adjusted terms. Okay, yep. So that's a whole different blinged-up glove. it should always be adjusted. 
No, because you start going far enough back and it gets a bit ludicrous. Yeah, uh, right. And that's a lot of it's because you can't, it's hard to make the comparisons because um, the playing fields, they're not level. Yeah, like people going to see Gone with the Wind aren't the same audiences that would go see, like in terms of... Of age. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, just society and they what's could still going be, on. They could still be watching it. And who's got, you know, money to go to the movies? <laughs> uh, well, Gone with the Wind achieved its box office with half a dozen widespread additional theatrical releases. <laughs> yeah. Gone with the Wind is the yeah. one in my head that you think of as was a big money grabber in that time, right? Yeah. Mind you, there's a lot... The Gone with the Wind has a lot in common with Infinity War. <laughs> Oh, snap. <laughs> um, so, you know, there, and there was no competing home visual media no. apart from stereoscopes. And probably fewer <laughs> things at the cinema as well. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like um, two-feature cinema or whatever. Smaller population. You know, there's lots of things. But yeah. I, I think to be fair you'd, or equivalent, you'd have to factor in DVD sales for modern movies as well. Well, Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of movies that had a terrible box office that are now big cult hits and I guess you never will see that reflected in their takings at the box office. And streaming. Well, yeah. I mean, the whole in the age of streaming, I think that's thrown a bit of an extra variable in there, hasn't it? I think it's getting way too apples and pairy, really. Yeah. Well, it's like apples and a stone. (laughs) Or or six stones. (laughs) Exactly. Speaking of food, which is always a good thing to do around about lunchtime, (laughs) I originally intended to see some movies at the cinema on the weekend. Yes. Um, I journeyed to the multiplex and for the first time in aeons, I did not go with the intention of seeing a movie. <laughs> it's because I got there and I went, you know, this is me. I've got a humongous appetite for movies, um, zero G, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. weekly deadline. I just like to do that too. Yeah. And so if film has a Galactus, then you can call me Galen of Planet Tar. <laughs> uh, and yet I looked at all but two films that were on the marquee, um, Endgame and Captain Marvel, because mm-hmm. I didn't have enough of 3.1 hours to spare. I know, right. Um, I felt I had no need to devour anything else. <laughs> so Nothing tickled your fancy. It did, but I, I felt full. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I did not hunger for celluloid. I think we live in an age of marvels. <laughs> I, I did trot along to see Endgame for the second time oh, this good week. On you. Yeah. So, and I saw it on a bigger screen. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, I think you mentioned this when we talked last week, our non-spoilery rundown, yeah. uh, which you can find on the Triple R website. Mm-hmm. Um, that I picked up things that I had missed yeah. the first time around, just little little notes and bits of dialogue and a couple of jokes, because there's so much happening. That I think the second time I had room to absorb more because I kind of knew the playing field at that time. I'm still getting reports of things that I didn't notice. Really? And this is me. Interesting. You know, we'll I, have to discuss those. And on my list of a hundred cool, wicked cool things about Avengers Endgame, that's one way of judging how good a film is, I reckon. A <laughs> hundred cool things about it. I'm up to like 130. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, ah, well, all of this is all true. <laughs> so it's just as well I saw a preview before I saw Endgame and it sort of discombobulated me all over the place for the last week or so. Mm. And that was all this true. And this is a, um, a Shakespeare biopic, which is a fairly rare breed. And uh, before we get into that, I'll play you a track here, which is called The Globe by Patrick Doyle from the All Is True soundtrack album. Hello, this is Paul McGann, the I in Withnell and I. And I wouldn't listen to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM without serious medication. 
the Globe, of course, Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London. That's the track by Patrick Doyle, who is one of Sir Kenneth Branagh's frequent collaborators on films that they've worked together on, mm-hmm. which is what collaborated means. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, okay. Uh, All is True, uh, 2018 British film, directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh. Mm-hmm. That's probably the last time I'll call him Sir throughout the uh, review. And with a screenplay by Ben Elton. Oh, of righty-booky fame. Righty-booky fame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for him. You would make an excellent Doctor Who companion, <laughs> Megan. <laughs> Life goals. Um Obviously, Sir Ken plays William Shakespeare mm-hmm. in that in that director actor combination that he's so fond of. He loves to get involved in front as well as behind the camera. Yes, he does. I wonder how they actually do that. We've, we've spoken about this before. Yeah. yeah, I'd be interested. I mean, it's too much to manage in my mind. Hmm. Uh, okay. Now, all is true was the alternative name for Shakespeare's play Henry the Eighth. So they've riffed off that. Um, this is a number, one of a number of productions that have uh, spun out of the uh, 1616 to 2016 anniversary of Shakespeare, you know, so you've got that kind of thing going there. And um, Ben Elton had his own Shakespeare sitcom called Upstart Crow, which ran for, I think, at least three seasons. And we've done that on the show. I think you've mentioned that, I, haven't I you? I have, yeah. yeah, verily. Now, there's also a, a detective series called Shakespeare and Hathaway, <laughs> so, Fair enough. you know, you have to have one of those. Uh, and um, they've actually been fairly thin on the ground, Shakespeare biopics. Uh, yeah. Shakespeare in Love in 1998 with one of the Afflecks, surely? Which calling one? calling that a biopic. Yeah. No, it was a Fiend's brother. Fiend's brother, yeah. Like Joseph. It. Interchangeable. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> I'm surprised that one isn't a Batman. <laughs> a Voldemort and a Batman. Yes. Uh, and, of course, actually, I think probably the, the best one was the television series, uh, I think John Mortimer's uh, Will Shakespeare with Tim oh. Curry playing uh, Shakespeare. Interesting. Uh, pretty good um, story, too. Now, and I've recently reread uh, John Bell's Indispensable Working Theatricals book on Shakespeare. So nice. I was kind of up for this one. Yeah, nice. And went uh, to see a screening at the Acme because the preview screenings were on there. Oh, cool. Um, now, Ben Elton, notwithstanding, the trailers expend a lot of the movie's funniest lines. You know how they do that? I hate when they <laughs> do that. And so I had this idea that it was a comedy. And it's not. <laughs> Um, it's more a, a bittersweet, poignant farewell to both Shakespeare's career as a playwright and also to the twilight years of his troubled life as a family man. Oh, goodness. Mm. It opens after the devastating fire at the Globe Theatre in London mm-hmm. against whose uh, oath for a muse of fire we see Shakespeare silhouetted. Uh, his famous... Uh... Yeah. Before his retirement and subsequent trip down that bloody road back to Stratford-on-Avon, which is a tedious commute back then and, and just one of the many touches to bed the film down in mundane reality. You know, he's, he's always on the bloody road. <laughs> uh, after so many years working in the city, Will is ne- a near stranger in his home and his wife's bed and to his two children, Susanna and Judith. Between them all stands his status as being the great poet, which Shakespeare never does quite come to terms with. Mm. It's a little bit like imposter syndrome partly. And, well, it is real, isn't it? Uh, and... Um, there's family scandals, uh, including his famous sonnets, okay. the, the identity of whose muse is a bone of contention. Right, got it. And most prominently the fact that Will's young son, Hamnet, died while his father was away from home. Mm. 
everyone's nursing a grudge in this film of one kind or another even the grudging nurse <laughs> the veteran cast along with the younger players wrangle out a tight little and frequently moving domestic drama which expands and contracts by turns in the evocatively lensed candle lit interiors of Shakespeare's house okay. and outdoors amongst the natural wonders of the world that the poet clearly loved Interiors that read as slightly claustrophobic to our modern eyes, and he actually had a fairly big house for his time. Yeah, right. It was all right. Uh, Open out into gardens brimming with dappled shade, practically buzzing with seasonal colours, because they do that whole palette of the man's life for the seasons. Oh, right. Yeah. And the floral glory that provided Shakespeare with so many rich lines of comparison and metaphor. Uh, It's pity he's such a dud gardener, (laughs) much of which is made of in this film. Now, the people in the film, Kenneth Branagh as William Shakespeare, I almost feel like he was born to play this. So he does a good job? or He does. He, he, he looks the part. He's got the intellect, the mm. big forehead. Mm. <laughs> well, mm. he, just, he just works in the role. Okay. Um, Dame Judy Dench plays his wife, Anne Hathaway. So you've, so you've got Branner and Dench on the screen together. Uh, and Sir Ian McKellen plays the Earl of Southampton. Oh, so he's really, he's just called up all his old mates yeah, of he, some stature and gone, hey. As you do. <laughs> uh, Lydia Wilson plays Susanna Shakespeare and Catherine Wilder plays Judith Shakespeare. Okay. And they are all quite excellent. Um, now, Judy Dench is formidable as ever. She mm. gets several affecting and sharp soliloquies. And Ian McKellen gallops in and out of the story at just the right moment to deliver even more plot-pushing revelations alongside alongside some genuine affection for his old friend and domesticated genius. And you wonder whether it's actually McKellen talking to Branner or if it's supposed to be the <laughs> Earl talking to Wheel. And that you know when they do that and it works. Yeah, yeah. It just it just perfect. It might also play better if everything was seen from the perspective of Anne Hathaway or Shakespeare's children. Mm. As one of my as uh, my cinema buddy um, Callum said to me and I thought, yeah, you've actually got a point there. Um, but really we do get just enough of their views often delivered in no uncertain terms to the leader of the household no right. respect no respect <laughs> this could be a sitcom in a way you know that the, yeah. the, uh, the <laughs> shakespeare and family yeah i didn't mind the shakespeare's yes the shakespeare's uh, i didn't mind too much that branner almost apologetically stays close to the limelight mm. Um, because Shakespeare's got these doubts about himself and his his right to actually, you know, he, like he he buys a coat of arms, right? So it's like this tortured artist journey, yeah. sort of. And he's he's trying to compensate for his father's um, scandalous behaviour, and you know, it's okay. it's quite moving. Um, ben. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously Sir Ken makes deft use of his... I keep saying that. I said I wasn't going to say Sir <laughs> no, Ken. Makes, can't. <laughs> he makes deft use of his own uh, considerable experience as a Shakespearean actor and popular cinematic adapter. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's like four or five movies that are all excellent films of yeah. one sort or another. You know, I mean, his Henry V is just blasting. I was going to say, yeah. Um, his Hamlet made me like Hamlet as a play, and I've never really been in touch with that one. Oh, really? You know, and... Um, He's got As You Like It and uh, there's just so many yeah. great. And, and when he played Othello um, as well. I think Othello's probably my favourite Shakespeare. To Lawrence Fishburne's um, – sorry, he plays uh, Iago to Lawrence Fishburne's Othello. Othello. Okay. That was a pretty good turn. He'd too. be a very good Iago, I he think. He was, actually, mm. because he's such a nice sort of guy. Mm, with an edge. <laughs> yeah, an edge. <laughs> um, 
Ben Elton dials back on the nod and a wink to a blind bat okay. sort of fandom. Good. Because um, that would be, would be too much ado in this more sober storytelling. You know, it's in, too much of that sort of yeah, out, out if you don't damn spot the reference <laughs> to the play. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a moment when Branner almost allows a touch of modern detective serials procedural to divert his course into a, a midsummer night's murder mystery. But he's an old hand at it and he segues smoothly enough back to his main purpose. Uh, and I said this wasn't a comedy, but there certainly are lighter, more humorous moments where the writer, director, and director are in accord over the. Um, pleasant tactical choice of having Will effectively fill the role of one of his own Shakespearean clowns. Mm. You know, there's always a Shakespearean clown. A, a, <laughs> the foil. A, a porter pissing up against a gate, that sort of thing. <laughs> and they kind of, kind of give some of that sort of feel to Shakespeare, a little bit more dignified than that, but okay. he's got that sort of thing going. Uh, on the zero-G scale of, um, yeah, no, nah, or maybe I give this a, a hearty eye. It's, mm. don't, don't think it's going to be a comedy. Yeah. Because it ain't. They must have just thought they'd market it better doing that, which I always find strange because then people go expecting another film. Yeah. But, you know, um, I was going to pretty much enjoy this one way or another Mm. with this much talent on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't stick the landing, so... And, you know, knows the source material, knows what he's doing, good actors. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Yeah. So uh, uh, probably a very worthy addition to the very small category of Shakespeare biopics. Why do you think that is? Um, If you go through lists of artists and writers, you actually find that there aren't all that many, Mm. more than one or two biopics about them. Yeah, right. It seems to be uh, a difficult thing to do, Mm. uh, especially with writers. With with Shakespeare, what tends to happen is you're going to focus upon his playwriting career. Yeah. So that means you will run into that. Well, I was writing. Here we go. Yeah. yeah and then it's and all about the meta, the layer of the actual work over the top. Yeah. Ben Elton sends it up fairly coarsely in uh, Upstart Crow and is deliberately mm, coarse. Okay. Uh, you know, it'll be like Shakespeare will stop dead and say, "Well, that's much ado about nothing." Ooh. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, it actually... But as like a nod. Yeah, yeah. It, but it actually plays better in um, Upstart yeah, right, Crow, right, right, which right. is a lot of fun. So, you know, I think that's one of the things with Shakespeare in particular. Mm. Plus, we don't know a hell of a lot about his life yeah, apart well, from his work. I going to say, there reaches a certain point where some of those older ones mm. that, um, yeah, you're either doing a really fictionalised version or a documentary. Mm. But if you're interested in that kind of expansion of it, um, do check out John Bell's um, About Shakespeare book or On Shakespeare um, because it's it's got a lot of that sort of stuff in it. But, you know, he, he does takes the trouble of going to Stratford and walking around nice. and, and you're saying, well, you know, Shakespeare must have walked from the school through this graveyard, you know, and because it, he works out the logistics of it. I like that. And also with his own experience as a as a theatrical, you know, and as a producer, yeah, director, exactly. actor, he brings a lot to that. But that's his book. That's not mm. this film. All right, now we've got another track here, mm-hmm. and I think we will play No More, which again is from uh, Patrick Doyle from the All Is True soundtrack. Let's be bad guys. Hi, this is Joss Whedon, creator of Serenity, Buffy, and Angel. Welcome to New Melbourne, home of fish, fish-based activities, and Radio 3 Triple R FM. Triple R, it's independent radio, and it aims to misbehave. 
Yes, you're listening to 3RRR 102.7. This is Zero G with me, Megan McHugh. And Rob Jan. And you just heard the track by Patrick Doyle called No More, which was from the... Oh, no. All is... True. True. <laughs> Adam, mind blank. The All is True movie, the Shakespeare biopic that Rob just went and saw. And, of course, um, Joss Whedon, who we just heard... Mm did uh, his own adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, which he set in his house. Yeah, and, and it, it had all of some of our favourite Buffy and Angel players yeah. in it. And he just called his mates up, basically. Yeah, same deal, same deal. Same deal. Black and white. Ah, now, um, we have a, uh, a giveaway today. So I'll tell you about what it is first. And um, I'll tell you when it is first, because sometimes I've, I forget to tell people when it is, and that can be crucial if you want to... It's very true. Something. So it's on Friday, May the 17th at 8pm at the Alexander Theatre in the End Potter Centre for Performing Arts at Monash University in Clayton, uh, which I've actually seen Shakespeare at. Oh, nice. So, um, oh my God, I think it was Judy Dench and... Um, and uh, it's uh, uh, Derek Jacobi. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and um, so May 17th, Friday, 8pm at Monash Uni. And it's um, about progress, a festival festival of ideas, and they're presenting Smokestack. Which over 10 days in May, M Live explores the concept of progress, asking whether developments in technology and culture have changed our daily lives for better or worse. Very futurist there. Smokestack is an evening of comedy songs and ideas about progress featuring Tom Ballard, Zoe Coombs-Ma, Rod Quantock, the bedroom philosopher and special guests. Nice. It's a company... It's a pretty good... Uh, yeah, it's a good liner. Yeah. It's accompanied by Zani Kolak's Spire Ensemble, so you can expect some of Australia's best comics and thinkers presenting their take on this perplexing theme. Progress runs between May 16th to 26th, and you can get the full program at monash.edu backslash mlive backslash progress. And, uh, of course, only subscribers with a paid annual subscription are eligible for giveaways, of course. And the number is 93881027. It's a double pass to this event that we've just talked about for Friday, May 17th at 8pm at Monash University, Clayton. So, ring up in a second, and we're just going to play two tracks here. Another Shakespearean one, God, I Hate Shakespeare, <laughs> by uh, Brian Darcy James John Carini and the Something Rotten was a play, male ensemble Broadway uh, show and after that we're going to play today's Bowie track which is called Sacrifice Yourself from Tin Machine reasons for which will be obvious after we (laughs) do this, okay so the giveaway 9388 1027 In the marmalade forest Forest. Between the make-believe trees G'day, I'm Brent McKenzie I played an elf from Lord of the Rings My dad played Ellen Dole the King You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. And I have one thing to say My name is Figwit the Elf You killed my father, prepare to die Yes, you are listening to Triple R This is Zero G Congratulations to our giveaway winner And you just heard Sacrifice Yourself by David Bowie And before that we listened to... Brian Darcy James, John Cariani, mm-hmm. and the Something Rotten Male Ensemble with God I Hate Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit of fun there. Had to wind up for that one. Yeah. Well, here we are back on Zero G and we are talking about the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Woohoo! Season two. Yes, which uh, was... Ten episodes or eight? Uh, like I think that. there's actually nine. Nine, Just okay. to make things interesting. 
Um, yeah, so this is something that I had whipped through and recommended to Rob. And so you've obviously what we're talking about season two. So you watched all of season I have, one. I have blitzed it all. Nice. And season two. Excellent. Ex- you're ahead of me, which is something to be said. Um, so, yeah, I thought we just, we'll just have a chat about it. Hmm. Thoughts, feelings and so on. Hmm. Spells. No, we won't do any of the spells because it's dangerous and it, irresponsible. It is dangerous and irresponsible. <clears throat> and with great power. Yada, yada, yada. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, the, the, this season, I think, uh, we've, we're already established the Spellman family well in uh, Greendale, mm-hmm. which is not that far away from Riverdale. No. How far from Riverdale? Is it like over the hill and far away? or like? I would say it's probably a... Oh, there's a bit of crossover. I actually am not up to date on Riverdale because yeah. that show just hit the skids. So there is a bit of crossover, I think, between the two, and I think they talk a little bit about... They're not far. Yeah. Far enough for some beasties to be wandering in Riverdale, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a minor spoiler. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, a Riverdale episode that's an actual crossover, like they all come from... I think there's a bit of cro- a bit more crossover with the current Riverdale and some of the Sabrina stuff. Okay. Um, anyway, Greendale is um, a small American town. Not so small that it doesn't have an occult bookstore, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and a high school, so it's mm-hmm. not too small. Although it's a combo bookstore, bookstore cafe... Misc shop, so you know, yeah, it's a misc, small town. Miskatonic shop. Exactly. And um, they, uh, Sabrina was a student, well, she still is, I suppose, at the uh, Greendale High School. Baxter High. Baxter High, uh, which has its own little team logos and stuff and, yeah. you know, all that kind of thing. Every time I hear Greendale, though, I think of Greendale Community College from Community Vote, <laughs> <laughs> which is a very different vibe. Ooh, so many uh, Easter eggs in Avengers Endgame about community, by the way. Oh, yeah, oh, a couple yeah, of good... But back to back to uh, Sabrina, who um, is a witch, mm-hmm. basically. She's half mortal. Half witch, half mortal. Half witch, yeah. half mortal. And she lives with her aunties. <laughs> I love her aunties, actually. They're, they're part of the best thing for me in this show. Um, Lucy Davis from uh, Wonder Woman. Yes, and The Office. And The Office plays Hilda Spellman. And um, Miranda Otto plays Zelda. Mm-hmm. With relish. Yeah. I wonder if she wants to go to Rivendell. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, they're the, they're the witchy aunts. Yes. And they're also living with a guy called Ambrose, who is the uh, whew, the undertaker for the business. It's the undertaker's built business that they share the house with. Yeah. And, and yeah. her cousin. Her cousin as well. <laughs> her cousin too. He's actually quite an old warlock, actually. Mm. Uh, he's one of the best characters, and they've amped up his role in season two for arbitrary reasons, just because he's a fan favourite. Mm. And she has a cat called Salem. Yep. Um, which doesn't talk, but we can understand cat. Yeah. And they, <laughs> do, yeah, I'm glad they didn't make it talk because that wouldn't have been really in keeping with the show's tone. And if you're sensing a kind of a Buffy feel here, yeah, you go with that. That's yeah. not a bad comparison. And Buffy by way of supernatural. Yeah, um, it's a little more. Well, what's that other show? The Craft. Oh, yeah. A little bit crafty little in places. Bit. It's pretty teen as well. Like, I will say some of the high school stuff with her friends, they've really tried to make a little bit of a mm. high school feel. It doesn't quite work as well as in something like Buffy, but it's there. The magnificent Richard Coyle plays Father Faustus Blackwood, the oh. high priest of the Church of Night. He's foul. It's so He's so good at it, though. And the dean of the Academy of the Unseen Arts, which is Sabrina's other school. It's very poorly explained how she juggles two schools and then sometimes one and then sometimes another and then... 
I was a bit confused by that, but that's all, you know. I think in season two, she just goes for it. <laughs> yeah, and they don't really bother to explain. They just let her pop back to the mortal high school whenever she feels like it, <laughs> or it serves the story. Oh, my God, I've just noticed that one of the actors that pops up I didn't recognise. Oh, really? Which one? Uh, Alexis Denisoff. Yeah, yeah. I didn't you didn't recognise no, him? No, I didn't. Well, he has an American accent in this as well yeah. and no glasses, but I recognise him right away. Oh, He's, oh. of course, watcher fr- a watcher from... Buffy and Angel. Yeah. Wesley? Uh, yes. And also um, uh, one of the bad guys in um, Avengers. He's uh, Thanos's minion who interfaces with Loki. Is he? That's him, yeah. Ooh, she's saying. That's, that, that means everything is different now. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, okay, but um, other people who appear in this season, a travelling psychic mm-hmm. played by Veronica Cartwright. Yeah, she's great. Um, and, and there's another great one that appears, Ray Wise, who plays the anti-pope. These are not spoilers. These are in cast yeah. um, He has appeared as the devil in um, Reaper. He was a very stylish one in that. And Twin Peaks as well, he's um, appeared as a character like that. Uh, And there's one other guy who appears in this, um, Lucifer, who plays uh, the Dark Lord, Um, not in the goat form, but a different kind of form. And he's Australian actor Luke Cook. Mm, Okay. (laughs) So, and he was in uh, a bit part in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But the funny thing is that he played Dorian Gray in The Librarians. And, of course, we have a, 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 a Dorian, Dorian Gray in, in Sabrina. Yes. So, you know, there's lots of nudity in this show too, by the way. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, romping. Yeah, that's why I mentioned that in context of um, Luke Cook because he does nude scenes in this. Thinking, oh, okay, all right, we'll go with that. Yeah, I will say, like, this is – there's it, it go, it's not afraid to go quite dark. No, I, I – I wondered what um, what the Christian community in the United States, who are a vocal bunch of people, uh, had to say about this show because they actually have like um, advice to Christians about what shows and movies to watch. Yeah. It's often hilarious. This would not be on that list. No, no. It, well, they they have their trouble with it. Apart, you know, the whole full on Satanism stuff. Yeah, and it really is. They really do punch into it. Whether or not it's it's realistic or not, I don't care. And because in season <laughs> one, they're very sort of lead into it a bit. But the yeah. whole premise has always been like the darkness is this, yeah. you know, that's what she's aligning herself with or not. But they have such strong, if warped, family values in this for, yeah. the, for the Spellman family. I think in some ways because it is so, they lean into it so much, yeah. it makes it less problematic. I mean, potentially for people. I mean, I don't find it problematic at all, but I think because it's so extreme yeah. in the way that it's they're having fun with it. Like there's a line, I mentioned this before, it's not a spoiler, but a character just says... Uh, let's get the heaven out of here. <laughs> and it's just silly. Like, that's kind of what they're doing with it. They're subverting all this stuff and that's the fun they're having. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. Which. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In this season, uh, Michelle Gomez ascends to the elevated position of principal of the high school. Which she's loving. <laughs> she's loving. And they do have some good exposition where she's like, why am I even doing this anymore when my narrative storyline isn't, it isn't required? So they're well aware of some of the holes and I think they're pretty clever in. It is jam-packed with um, plot points this season. Uh, Sabrina tries out to be top boy at the academy. It moves a lot faster from get-go, I think. Um, it's a very woke show too. It is very woke. And I do like that there's a transgender character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think S- Several. Uh, well, one transgender character and one 
Um, Ambrose is... Uh, oh, yeah, he's bisexual. He's bisexual, yeah. Yeah. So I think... And, you know, it's not... I've made a big point of, like, the transgender no. storyline is enough in that, yes, it should have its own arc, mm. but they're not kind of pressing the woke button frantically being like, no. look at us be, you know, relevant. Of course, there are lots of woke demons as well. Yeah. All the time they're raising creatures and from, from the pit and all sorts of stuff. It's definitely a show that has come from our t- this time, like, our time. And it's really gory. Oh, it's foul. There's <laughs> disgusting stuff. Yeah. I messaged a friend while I was watching it. I was like, what on what earth the, is going on? What the what? <laughs> yeah. I kind of like that, though. Like I said, they're not they're not pulling any punches. How, how, how do we swear? Oh, what the pitchfork? <laughs> that would work. Um, I love there's some little details in this. Like you were saying about uh, get the heaven out of mm. there. There's little things like um, uh, they think that the dark law – Dark Lord, which is Satan, Lucifer, you know, doesn't like onions because it makes him cry. <laughs> oh, they put on a school play at the academy. Yes. Which is rather competitive. I, yeah. I think they have fun with it and I like as well because in the narrative storyline, like season one was a bit slower so I was a bit concerned yeah. when they had some kind of – um you know those types of episodes that have a particular structure, like a dream episode, or in this oh, they have a the tropes, the, yeah, like a fortune telling episode where it's each character their their fears kind of thing. I like when they do that if it's still the narrative is being pushed forward, mm. and I think they do do that here pretty well. Actually, because um, uh, Roz, uh, one of the school kids, is prophetic as well, yeah, and so they, I thought they tied that in reasonably well with the um, the psychic episode. And I also like that we don't. Don't get a lot of naff kind of premonitions from her perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a bit over that kind of trope as well. They have a, a Valentine's Day episode, which is a scream. I actually thought that was hilarious. There's uh, some witch finders who come to town. Oh, exciting. I'm not up to that yet. That's, it's probably not the best town to turn up to no. with that intent. I would fear for my life. You, I hope the witch finders are like hot young people because that's probably what this show would do. Um... Hmm. I won't say anything about that. Um, <laughs> if you actually wanted, if you wanted to come to this town, you'd need Buffy, the Scooby Gang, and the Winchester Brothers all at once. I reckon mm. because there's some pretty tooled up uh, sorcerers and, and and sorceresses here. Um, one of the charming characters in this season, I thought, was Hilda. Yeah, she really ramps up in this. She one. gets more of a storyline too. Even in the episode, I'm about halfway through mm-hmm. season two. Even the episodes I've seen, she gets more to do, which is great. Because mm. she's just a, a charming character. Um, Blackwood and Zelda continue their uh, mm. relationship. Their sordid union. Mm-hmm. Uh, they remember that there's a big mine under the town. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A conveniently placed mine. Yeah. <coughs> Hellmouth. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, we get uh, an episode where Sabrina gets to do the thing that actors really like to do in a television series. Mm. One of those science fiction and fantasy tropes that the actor just says, oh, yes, I'm going to have fun with this. Okay. I'm excited. <laughs> I have a few guesses. Yeah. Um and, and once again, it all fall, falls back upon the, the Spellman family ethos, which just I keep finding as absolutely hilarious throughout this. And it also gets really epic. Yeah, like, right. Seriously okay. epic. And That's you're thinking, good. What the hell? That's Literally. <laughs> I do. I do think there's a lot of there's a good supportive players, but I do think Kin and Shipka who plays um, 
Sabrina. Yeah. I think she does a really good job of being the centerpiece of the show because she's in a lot of the scenes. Yep. And I think she does a really great job of being Sabrina. Like, she's a good mixture of um, she's got an edge, but she's also quite sweet and yeah, I quite like her. I think she's very charismatic. Although I will say in some of the episodes, she does that thing where we were watching it and we made the joke, what they think Harry Potter does in Goblet of Fire, she does herself all the time. She'll be like, me, another storyline about me. Let's make this about me. <laughs> Putting my hand up, to volunteer because me. I understood that <laughs> reference. Yeah. <laughs> um, all the ships for Shipka, basically. But you still like her, even though she's a bit of a pain in the butt sometimes. If you want to see more of her, she's uh, one of the leads in a Netflix um, horror movie called The Silence, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. you know, plays on the same take away one of the senses tropes as uh, Bird Box and also A Quiet Place. It's very big right now. It's not a real good movie. Oh. Sticks the landing, I'm afraid. Oh, no. uh-huh. Actually, sorry, it doesn't stick the landing. Oh, that's a real shame. Look at me sportsing again. Yeah, I know. Uh, and, um, you know, but she's good in it. Okay. Yeah, so, I think she's quite good mm. as an actress because mm. I can judge these things. But I thought this was a good season of this show. Yeah, good. It has, it has been renewed, hasn't it? Must I be. imagine. They usually let them get to three seasons, right? And then they yeah, ask them. <laughs> then they sacrifice them. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's at the moment, it's, its momentum is way better than Riverdale at this point in time. And Riverdale was when it was kind of at this point. And I think it's got a lot to offer. It's a lot of fun. It's edgy. It's got lots of good actors in it. If I Easy had, watching. If I had kids... And if I was a member of a mundane religion, this is exactly the kind of show that I would not let them watch. Which <laughs> so it's a yes from us. It's a yes from us. <laughs> and and boy, she does a really she's really good at the Latin chanting. Yeah, she sounds sounds like she means she it. She puts her heart into yeah. it. They all do, or at least other people's hearts. You know, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> uh, so there you go. The, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, <laughs> season two on Netflix now. Well, we're coming up to the hour. Um, I did want to um, uh, play a track um, eventually uh, <laughs> about um, Chewbacca, which, of course, uh, Peter Mayhew is no longer with us. The Wookiee. Yes. B- Peter William Mayhew, born in uh, 1944 in Surrey in England and passed away in Texas, age 74. Of a heart attack, and he was a, an actor and an author too. He wrote a couple of children's books. Oh, cool! Um, and of course, his big thing was, apart from the fact that he was seven foot three inches tall, two point two one meters. Wow, a big lad. Yeah, uh, which um, was a consequence of him uh, having a. Um, uh, I'm trying to find the name of the um, the condition that he had but I can't find it off the top of my head. But anyway, it meant that he was tall, you know. So, um, of course, as an actor, he got to play creatures. But especially, of course, um, Chewbacca the Wookiee in the original trilogy films and uh, two of the other ones, so five Star Wars films in all. (sighs) Sadly, he reprised the role in the Star Wars holiday special back in 1978. Chewbacca showed up up in The Muppet Show once, which of course is natural. And he's done dialogue as well as Chewbacca, which when you think about it, he's not that much. (laughs) Oh dear. Um, Yeah, and his books are Growing Up Giant and My Favourite Giant. And these were about um, being different, about being a strength instead of a weakness. That's so nice. 
nice. And an anti-bullying book. That's I mean, awesome. It is. I'm he so was, emotional today. He was such a, a nice fellow. <laughs> that sounds really lovely. And he deserves a medal, even if Chewbacca didn't get one in um, yeah. Star Wars. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, Peter Mayhew, no longer with us, with us. And we'll have a, just a short track, which probably doesn't isn't really all that complimentary, but, you know, I found it and I thought I'll play this. It's called Chewbacca, and it's from a – I think it's from um, – an album called The Meat Department Girlfriend Stealing. Good. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's one It's one of those ones we don't know the album and the, the group. Is it offensive? No. Okay. All right. No. Well, it's, not, it's not that well done, but it's no. not offensive. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, I am Jim Michael Stritsky, creator of Babylon 5, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. Who are you and what do you want? There we go. That's about it for Zero G today. Yes. Wrapping up now. And um, we'll go out with uh, a track from um, Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. from one of the uh, many musical tracks. Uh, sorry, one of the, the um, pop culture relevant tracks that they played during the film. Yes. Um, and I thought this was actually well chosen. But then they've, they've been so good at that. Well, I think Galaxies really the ga- Galaxies the Guardians. Guardians of the Galaxy really amped up the whole using music drops for good effect. Yeah, Taika Waititi's good at that too. Like you know, hmm. he got um, Thingo that song. Can't think of it right now. But yeah, the immigrants. Yes, immigrant <laughs> song. Ah, yes. There you go. Uh, all right, so we're going to go out with uh, Supersonic Rocket Ship from the Kinks. Nice. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And coming up next, Joe Brenetic with Astral Glamour. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.